0: Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. What would be the result of all Jew-aware and race-aware white people uniting and publicly saying, despite whatever differences they may have on other issues, we are one to the world on the paramount issues of race and Jewish power? Would this be desirable? And if so, how might it be achieved? Of course, a million or more people who don't want to be ruled by Jews and who passionately care about our race's survival, all saying in unison, we are one, and backing that up with hard work, tithing or the equivalent, and physical action would indeed be desirable. The question in my mind is whether or not that can be achieved by, one, trying to unite the already aware ones by overlooking or compromising with the different goals and outlooks they encompass, or, two, by trying to awaken the unaware ones whose instincts are sound, by education and inspiration and bringing them around to a unified outlook and set of goals. Or three, by trying to quote-unquote unite everyone who is to the right of Trump, by compromising, by dissimulating much of our truth, which would be rejected by the vast majority of such people if stated clearly, or at all. I reject number three. No one can outlie the Jews. Our outreach work should be based on truth, and I know for sure that mine has to be. I like to be kind, even when correcting someone, but I just cannot pretend to believe what I know isn't so. This type of dissimulation has gotten us in trouble again and again and again, and wasted so many lifetimes for nothing. Think of all the good folks who wasted their lives supporting the John Birch Society, or Young Americans for Freedom, or the Moral Majority, or other kosher patriot groups. Not only are their announced goals ultimately irrelevant to the real war for survival that we face, but they actively give lip service and more to the enemy and his positions— the races are equal, Jews are chosen, etc. As I've pointed out before, if you pretend that such things are true, you'll attract to your organization many people who believe they actually are true, and eventually such people will transform your group. So I reject number three. Let's think about numbers one and two. Something like a big, loud, we are one of unity was heard in Germany in 1933. It wasn't total unity, though. Quite a few of the already Jew-aware and race-aware people never united under Hitler's leadership, and some even opposed his movement and government. But the fully Jew-aware and race-aware folks in Germany in the 1920s and early 30s were a small fraction of the population, and those who opposed Hitler were a fraction of that fraction. So their disunity was more than compensated for by a huge wave of popular support from average people. The awareness level of these ordinary people was on average pretty low, but they instinctively were attracted to National Socialism because it spoke to their hearts and their needs. And then there was yet another wave of popular support when simple folk saw the great results that National Socialism was bringing to their families and their country. And As always in any time of change, one always sees a groundswell of support and unity from people who simply want to work for or curry favor with the winning side, and the National Socialists were, for a golden moment in history, the winning side. Hitler's movement attracted people, both the aware and unaware, for several reasons, none of which, except one, had anything to do with compromise. He did compromise on Christianity, which he privately viewed as a bane, but publicly supported, while at the same time promoting a new kind of spirituality among the youth and an elite. His movement attracted people. One, because his basic message was simple, truthful, and easy to understand. Jews are enemies, the enemy, who have betrayed Germany. Two, because he had a fighting team that was willing to use physical force and risk injury and imprisonment to defend itself and attack those in turn who tried to shut them down. This deeply impresses the popular mind. Power always does. And three, because Germany was in terrible shape, misruled by her enemies, with mass starvation, poverty, death, demoralization, and with degeneracy, corruption, and vice being promoted at every turn, while communists rioted, and grabbed tyrannical power wherever they could, and the National Socialists promised credibly that they could and would put an end to the suffering and chaos. Thus Hitler's support grew quickly. He had all the right ideas and the power to impress both friends and enemies. His almost all-new followers believed he had their best interests at heart and would never compromise, and his support snowballed accordingly. One mustn't underestimate Hitler's personal oratorical powers and charisma, of course. A man with such gifts, who uses them in service of the life force— And who stirs the souls of the people of every social class comes along only rarely in history. Except on religion, he never compromised, and even on that, he had a plan to take Germany's spiritual leadership away from the pastors and priests and put it in National Socialist hands. He didn't care about uniting with the several existing anti-Jewish or anti-Communist parties or figures or publications. He saw them all as deeply flawed. And I believe he even made a remark once along the lines of one doesn't make a champion by tying two or three cripples together. His big, loud, we are one perhaps the loudest in all of human history so far, was achieved by being strong, being willing to fight, being uncompromising, being willing to suffer and die if necessary, and being even more willing and even enthusiastic about making the enemy suffer and die and by being the best human beings and the best human embodiment of national salvation conceivable. This brought the people around to him, and a degree of unity of spirit and soul and practical work seldom seen on earth was achieved. He may have attracted quite a few members of the other anti-Jewish parties. I'm sure he did. But he could have done it all without them. Their numbers were negligible. Most of his support came from new people who weren't particularly aware of who was trying to kill them until Hitler told them. So Hitler built unity and got to the We are one point, using technique two, finding new, mostly unaware people who had sound instincts and building a community of purpose with them. And with a small dose of technique one, recruiting from and uniting the already aware added in. So, a very well done technique one and technique two Can lead to something resembling the ambitious goal of Technique 3, uniting the whole nation, but without the compromise. Even though our circumstances are different now, we can learn much from Hitler's example. We can also learn from the Trump phenomenon. I have no use for Trump as a person or as a politician. He may have a few sound instincts, an independent streak, and a tendency to speak his mind without caring about this week's iteration of political correctness. But his awareness of the enemy approaches zero. He almost always chooses to fawn on and serve them. His personality was formed in the crucible of New York City, where the enemy makes the rules and sets the tone. This makes him first cousin to a Hebrew scumbag, or worse, in my view. But the Trump phenomenon shows how deeply white Americans want and need a leader, someone with perceived power, wealth, and authority, who will speak for them, fight for them, and has their best interests at heart. Even The massive hate campaign against him, launched by the Jewish controlled media, couldn't shake these folks' faith in him. They still number in the dozens of millions at least, and most believe he is still the legitimate president. That's quite an accomplishment. Trump compromised all over the place, but that wasn't what brought his followers to him. The compromises were done in hopes of getting some support or breaks from the enemy media. Good luck with that, and the GOP, and Wall Street, and the war lobby. His rank-and-file followers probably wish he had not made those compromises, and, to the extent they even understand what is happening, would like him even more if he hadn't. In their secret hearts, they hope that Trump is even more right-wing than he appears to be, and many believe that, quote-unquote, he has to say those politically correct things just to stay alive, or to be allowed on the media, or in the party, etc. They want a Trump who's even more of an authoritarian strongman, even more of an immigration hardliner, even more of an anti-communist than even the enemy media portray him to be. They'd be delighted if a military coup put him in the White House, quote-unquote, until the job gets done. I do want to reach these folks, the best of them, anyway, and bring them up many rungs on the ladder of awareness. That's what I'm trying to do. Some will understand well and quickly once things have been explained to them and be drawn to the uncompromising long-term views and plan of the National Alliance. These can become part of our intentional community and can lead the expansion of our outreach to others. Part of the expansion of that outreach, which we've never had enough support or personnel to do, would be single-issue front groups, or groups which tailor our message in a less radical and more palatable form for people of limited understanding. Those whose understanding is and always will be inherently very limited because of personality type, intelligence, childhood religious imprinting, etc., will have to be unified in that manner. The unification of the less aware will have to be led by the fully aware, by Piercians, in other words. Compromising with the less aware would be fatal. Look at what happened to the Democratic Party in the U.S. In my grandparents' time, it was the party of the white working class, opposed Wall Street financial interests, and supported white racial integrity. But to build a coalition and increase its vote to win elections, it decided to partner with Wall Street, the banks, communists, Jews, and other anti-whites. We see the results today. It doesn't even faintly resemble the party of 1920, and has literally reversed its stance on all issues of importance. Another thing that indicates to me that the compromise method won't work is this. It's fake. It's insincere. Sharp differences boil beneath the surface, ready to erupt like the Tonga volcano. The moment one or more of a compromise coalition's component groups feels it is to their advantage to do so, they will attack or sell out the rest of the coalition. When faced with a serious outside challenge, the groups may collapse into infighting. Some component groups might hate a coalition partner more than they hate the outside enemy. That's a formula for disaster. One of them might make a deal with the enemy. You need to be able to totally, absolutely Trust your partners in this dangerous, hostile world, especially when you are the guardians of your people's future. To me, that's a strong argument for achieving the only kind of unity that really works. Sincere, natural, organic unity. A we are one that is really true. Not just mouthed words or words on paper, but a deep feeling born of blood and real-life experience and the race soul. I don't see any other way to create that kind of unity except by uncompromising action that changes the minds and wins the hearts of enough high-quality people who will be recruited into our ranks. These high-quality recruits will be the elite of the future. Their work will allow the Alliance to continually increase its power until it gets to a tipping point, where it even starts to win the hearts and minds of the more primitive souls who respect mainly power and success. Once that stage is reached, there's no stopping us. Along our journey to that tipping point, we can still build friendships and sometimes even cooperate with others who don't share our whole vision. We can be friendly with pro-white Christians. We can even welcome the best of those into our alliance. We can be friendly with anti-Jewish thinkers who aren't white. We can be friendly with racial nationalists who aren't white. We can be friendly with people who've figured out the fractional reserve banking scam. We can be friendly with people who oppose the endless wars for Israel. We can be friendly with people who want to protect their right to self-defense and gun ownership. We can be friendly with people who oppose the lies of big pharma, and the censorship of big tech. But we must never forget that there is no other solution for us, no other way to secure our children's future forever except the radical biocentrism and racial national socialism of William Pierce. We mustn't ever try to grow the alliance by incorporating new elements who don't share that specific vision. That specific vision is a necessity. It must never be compromised away. Never. It was compromised away not too long ago. When the Alliance purchased resistance records about a quarter century ago, it was seen as a way to bring disaffected and powerfully pro-white youth into the alliance orbit, and influence their thinking, and organize them to make a larger and even more effective alliance. Unfortunately, the influence worked the other way, and until Will Williams stepped in and restored the centrality of Dr. Pierce's vision, the alliance slid disastrously toward a big tent and generalized pro-white approach. The spiritual, cosmotheist aspects of alliance ideology were ditched because they were too narrow and offended Christians. The building of a new consciousness, a new order, a new people was ditched too, and the newcomers got all excited for a few months about becoming pro-white legislative lobbyists. A few years after losing its radicalism and becoming yet another generic pro-white group, something for which there was little demand, the alliance almost dissolved. We are the people who have figured out the solution. We have found the way, not only for our race to survive, but to reach unheard-of heights. And there is no other way. We must passionately believe that and we must passionately live that belief or we may fail. We must not give in to negativity or depression or exhaustion. It's our responsibility to be the best men and women we can be. To be the best examples we can be, to be the best bearers of that message that we can be, so that we can recruit an elite million who will unite our races, one thousand million, into a We Are One that will last forever.